Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah, and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions we have on birding topics. We're definitely not experts, and if we discuss anything that might be different from your opinion, or controversial, or anything like that, remember that it's our own opinions, and they might be different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, we have birding news this week, right, Hannah? Yeah, we do. Um, so, we've had two questions. Yes, questions. Yeah, thank you, guys. <laughs> um, so, the first one is from Neil. He says, hey, y'all, enjoy the podcast. Just doesn't come out often enough. Well, that is so nice. Uh, <laughs> I wish it could, could come out more often, but we just don't have time for adventuring all the time. Anyways, how do I use eBird to find what people are seeing close to my area or special birds that I might need? I remember on an earlier podcast when y'all were living in Florida, y'all went to several different spots looking for certain birds that y'all needed that others had noted on eBird that they had seen. Um, and again, enjoy your podcast. Keep them coming. So, Eric, you're the eBird expert. I uh, use the word expert in very loose quotations. You're the unofficial outreach coordinator for eBird. <laughs> the unofficial. So um, on eBird, the way we typically find things that we kind of e- either don't have. If, if we don't have them, it's really easy. It's a real easy process to find them. So you just go to explore, scroll down to target species, and then indicate the area that you're looking for. So if you're looking for, like... Uh, like, we, um, right now we're living in Oregon, yep. and so a lot of times we'll go to explore, target, and then we'll target birds in Oregon, mm-hmm. like, that we need that month. So, like, on our recent adventure, when we were trying to knock out some uh, lifers, we went in there. Some we, things that we should already have, but didn't quite have yet. Yeah. <laughs> we knew um, we were going to Deschutes County in Oregon, and so we typed in Deschutes County, but we wanted birds that we wanted for the ABA area, so mm-hmm. we selected that and then put in June because we were going in June. So it's really easy to pinpoint from that your target birds that you want to see. And you can do that by year also. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking to round out like your year, you can do that. Or if you're looking for life, you can do that. You can do it for the county level all the way up to the world level. So you can just look at the world and see what birds you need in the world. Yeah, which would be a lot. But um, it lists them uh, based on frequency that they're reported to eBird checklists within the county. So it kind of... Or in that area. Or or, or in that area. Whatever area that is selected. Mm -hmm. But the other way that you can use to find things is if if you've already seen, like, some species. You've already seen white-headed woodpecker. But you really want to go see white-headed woodpecker again. You just go to explore species... Um, type in uh, white-headed woodpecker. It would come up with uh, a whole bunch of information on eBird. All sorts of information about uh, about the species, uh, how many times you've seen it, stuff like that. Um, then there's a section for species map. You just open that up, and it would have, over the entire range, what where the species is reported. You can zoom in on the area that you're at and select the time frame to either be this year, the last 10 years, forever, whatever time frame you want. And then start looking around, see where people have most recently reported it, and maybe uh, go check those places out. Yeah, so when we're doing that, I'll typically look at the hotspots that are red, that are um, 
the little selection icon yeah, is po- in red. That's posted within the most within two weeks. Of I thought today. it was thirty days. No, it's it's two weeks. I oh. was I thought it was thirty days, but I'm the um there was some stuff on there that was three weeks and it was blue, so I was like, oh well, I must be the the line must be two weeks. Well, there you go. So <laughs> we hope that answers your question, and thank you again for for sending us a question. We also had another one from Jack who went on the Pelagic with us. He asked uh, what it meant when we were talking about 10%. We had, in a previous episode, I think in like our Costa Rica episode. Yeah, it must have been a Costa Rica episode. We were talking about how we hit our 10%. And... I guess we didn't. Ex- we didn't really explain what that meant. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure we intended to explain it if we if we didn't. We lose track we of did. what we're saying too. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of a designation that I I've never heard anybody talk about. I just Ever. kind of I, I just kind of made it up um, because I thought it was cool and and you know we hit a thousand we each hit a thousand species and I was like well where does a thousand really lie in like you know, what, what's the point of a thousand species? Sure. That's, that's like a huge milestone that we're both super proud of, but like, I mean, a thousand out of 10,000, what is it? 418 species. Yeah. Which, which I sent Jack an email back and I, I said a completely wrong number for the, for the total species. So sorry, Jack. Well, and that, I mean, it differs based on which list you're looking at. Cause you were looking at Clement's list and that has, you said 10,533 uh, or something? Ten, the, so the total total Clements for the world is, I wish I had written it down before we started recording, but it was like 10,680. Well, anyways, it's different from eBird. And eBird is what has been like listed to eBird. So mm-hmm. it's not going to include probably things like dodos because those things were... Well, it's only extant birds that are on the Clements list. Things that are alive oh. still. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Well, anyways, um, then di- let's differ. It, it, they, they, all, they differ, yeah. And, and so... And we we go based on eBird because that's what we use. That's our recording medium. Yeah, and I mean, they should just take all our money or give us money. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird relationship. Yeah. But we um, were looking, you know, we hit the thousand and we were like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. But I was thinking like... What I really want is to hit a percentage of birds because you can look at that on eBird, like your percent of birds that other people have seen. I feel like somewhere on there. I don't know if I've seen that part. Well, if it's not, it should be a feature. (laughs) (laughs) Get on that. Um, But anyways. Yeah, this free service that we don't pay for. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, I just put together that there's, I think it said on eBird that there's been 10,418 species listed. And so when we were going in Costa Rica and we were putting our list together, I hit 1042 and I was like, oh my gosh, I hit that I've seen 10% of all bird species. And so that's what that means. It's just the percentage of the bird species that you've seen, um, which I, you know, I just put 10% as an arbitrary number, but it's a nice round number. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a complete arbitrary designation that we've never heard anyone else talk about. Yeah, so I don't think anybody else says it. If, someone, like, el- if someone else is talking about it, go go ahead and let us know. Yeah, <laughs> I just like percents and statistics. They're they're cool. Yeah, so so there's there's our two questions. Yeah, and thank you guys so much. And as we've promised in previous episodes, if you send us a question, we will send you a sticker. But you have to include your address because we don't know where you live. Yeah, um, we don't know where to send it. Jack already got his on his Pelagic, so appreciate you sending in a question. And Neil will email you and ask you to send us your address uh, if you would like a sticker. Yeah. So. 
that that holds true for future question askers. All all questioners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we also had a review from uh, Sweet Alexiel. That's awesome. That... Thank you so much for your review. I think that's how you pronounce that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they gave us a five out of five and woo, said, I five found... out of five. <laughs> they said, I found their episodes very entertaining. Well, thank you. Yeah. We find them entertaining, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, rare birds? Yeah, of course there's <laughs> rare birds. Um, so, it looks like Alaska's been hitting it. They've had tundra bean goose, falcated duck, um, lesser sand plover, common ring plover. I mean... This is, I feel like, the kind time of the year when Alaska gets really hopping. And well, it seems they, like... they had a um, trip up to Attu the other day. Oh, okay. A, couple, a week ago? So, and... Something like that. I, I remember I remember reading a bunch about it and then looking at pricing, and I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and if you aren't, like, super familiar with Attu, you might check out The Big Year, you know, our favorite movie that we pitch in every episode. Um Jack Black, who is portraying Greg Miller, who we also interviewed, um, name dropping. Anyways, <laughs> he goes on this great trip to Attu and, and shows how rough it is staying up there. We've never been up there. I mean, it's on the list, of course. I don't know anything about it except for that, what I saw in that movie. Yeah, that looks like it's a military outba- out- outpost. outpost that you just, like, have a cot. So. Yeah, but I, I guess people, you used to fly there, and now you can't fly there. They shut down the air, the runway, so you, now you take a boat. Oh my gosh, it's like a long boat ride. Yeah, that's I, that, that's what I understand. I mean, I don't know. So, anyways, Alaska has it has a lot more stuff going on. Um, Florida, they've had an American flamingo, the Zanida dove that you know we tried to see last year, <laughs> a whole um, year ago, still hanging around. Uh, there's a white-tailed tropic bird there. Um, Texas, of course, has a lot going on as well. Yellow-green vireo, uh, tropical perula, slate-throated redstart. Arizona has some stuff, uh, like a roaster bacard, a black cap knack catcher. Um, California even hit the list this year, or this, uh, week as well with a red-footed booby, <laughs> which we tried to see in Oregon, but to no avail. And I haven't oh, heard any more that on that. No, I haven't heard anything else about the one that was sighted on a fishing boat. One person wonder. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Flew right back north. Is out of here. Um, there was an article recently that popped up that I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, from Audubon that I think the ABA posted, and that's how I found it. Oh. But it's called Hunting Imagery May Soon Be Mandatory for Federal Duck Stamp Contest. And we'll post this in our show notes as well. It's by Andy McGlashan. Is that how you say that? Sure. It looks like McGlashan. <laughs> um, anyways, we'll post this in the show notes, but this was brought up just recently on May 30th, and it really is kind of c- confusing. It seems like backtracking a little bit from where the, Definitely seems like the duck stamp was going. And one of our first episodes, we were talking about the migratory duck stamp. And why we think it's, you know, valuable to have and why we decided to purchase some this year. But I'm not so sure about that going forward. Um, It looks like in the future they may require that duck stamps have imaging imagery of hunting on them, which um, the duck stamp was originally put in place and, you know, sold in this whole contest and everything. It's only a federally judged contest for art. Um, but anyways, it was put into place to 
gain funds so they could continue the National Wildlife Refuge could continue to purchase land and that was to support species that were the hunted because that was you know back in the day mm-hmm. that was the primary thing and it's definitely part of the heritage to have hunting as part of it it is yes because that's because where it came from yeah exactly and since then it has increased to a place where not just hunters are purchasing them that people like us that are bird watchers we're purchasing no intention to go hunting yeah we're not gonna go hunting um but we bought them because we like the national wildlife refuge system and i love going to national wildlife refuges that's my favorite kind of you know habitat or location or whatever or park even though it's not a park to go to because i like the the drives that they do i like that they're huge pieces of habitat and that i feel like they usually do a pretty good job about protecting them yeah. And it's just, uh, it's sad to see that they're going to a place where they might require hunting on the images. And I don't really want to purchase it if it's going straight for, I don't know, hunting. Well, it's, so it, it is going for it's, hunting. It's, that's like the audience that they're looking for with and that. I, I feel like they're alienating, or potentially alienating. I would feel slightly alienated, alienated. If, if what I was buying, like, had... I don't. I don't know. I don't. I'm sure they'll they'll artistically because last year they did. Uh, they had a wood duck with a wood duck decoy behind yeah. it as a ghost image. So it kind of it, it it had a hunting thing in it, and it was artistically done, so it looked nice. But like, I feel like it's it would be difficult to continue just kind of slowly putting it in, and if that's a requirement for all of them, eventually, like you'd have guns, stuff like that, or a picture of a blind. Um, kind of in there and like I, I would feel like that's kind of like a hunting blind like gun sticking out well, I, don't, I don't know what they would do so <laughs> <laughs> just like a gun blasting a duck apart I, I just I, I don't know I mean hunting's what it came from but but it, it has to morph I'm, I'm, and it I'm has a birder to, it I mean, has to change to what you know the the new clientele is or it, it needs to evolve with everything else and it says in the article you know there's no doubt that hunters played a major role in north american model of wildlife conservation they have an inherent interest in man- maintaining healthy wildlife populations and their license fees and taxes on hunting equipment make up the bulk of funding available to state agencies to protect and manage habitat but the number of hunters is falling fast, while other pursuits such as birding and photography are on the upswing. In just 2016, uh, just 4% of Americans were hunting, while 34% participated in wildlife watching activities. And that's according to the Fish and Wildlife Service. So I feel like they're taking that 4% and they're holding them on a pedestal versus yeah. the 34% of us that are going out and wildlife watching. Of course, there's going to be some... Like um, there's a, there's definitely overlap. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of hunters say while they're out bird, uh, while they're out hunting, they're looking at wildlife. Yeah, which I mean, but see, they might be seeing that through a hunting rifle scope. Well, but, either way, they're looking at it. But yeah. but if you if you took that off, took that four percent away of hunters, and then say those hunters are also all four percent of those hunters are all wildlife viewing, so mm-hmm. that would be that would just drop the 34% to 30%. So there's 30% that are exclusively not hunting, but potentially that's not a th- hunting. That's Thir- a third 30%. of Americans. That's a third of Americans. Yeah. That are out just wildlife watching and not necessarily hunting. And they're probably not, I'm sure they're not all buying duck stamps. 
Oh, no, probably not. <laughs> That's all, that would be a lot of duck stamps. Well, and I, I think a lot of Americans that are wildlife watchers don't necessarily realize what the duck stamp goes towards. Yeah. Because of the history and the name. And they don't know that if they're buying a duck stamp, it just it goes to purchasing habitat for conservation purposes. Well, and it's it's a requirement to hunt ducks, to ha- to purchase a duck stamp. So it's inherently a hunting thing. Because you ha- you have to have it to go duck duck yeah. hunting, but you don't have to have it for anything else. Well, and I don't even think I ever realized what the purpose of it was until last year when yeah we were when we started looking, looking into it. it. Yeah, um, and now you know we bought them this year, and we definitely made our money back oh on gosh, just yeah. entrance fees to <laughs> national wildlife refuges. So I find that it's it's valuable to me, and but if but is that that valuable though? Because if we were paying entry fee every time, we'd be putting more money into the national wildlife refuge. I mean, if we've made our money back, I'm I'm thinking I'm in my bank account. Uh, oh, I see. I see. <laughs> how that okay. matters. I mean, essentially, we we should be paying and having the duck stamp at the same time. Right? I don't know. Paying entry fee every time. I am not going to think that hard about it. <laughs> but anyways, um, this is an article that you guys should look through. There's a lot of really interesting information in here about it, and um, I am curious to see what's going to happen if this proposal goes through. I don't think. I'll really want to buy one if it does and hunting imagery is required on it because I just, I don't want to see that necessarily. I don't know. I, of course, I it's going to really be a beautiful to... piece of oh, artwork. Sure it it's be, not going to yeah. be like covered in blood or anything. No, it's not going to be but disgusting. I don't know. I, that just discourages me from wanting it. Yeah, but you still get into the National Wildlife Refuges for free. That's true. So. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm really going to be interested to see what ABA says since they support the the whole thing that we had talked about where mm-hmm. you buy it through the ABA and then they have this like whole collective of duck stamps that were purchased and then they give that money to you know Fish and Wildlife and say this is from birders. This is birder. This is birder yeah. money. So I'm really going to look towards the ABA to see what they decide to do about this, if they continue to sell them or not, because I, I feel like they probably have a much better understanding of all this than I do. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll continue to sell it through their website. I mean, I don't, I don't see why they would, like, they're not changing what the duck stamp is doing. They're just changing the requirement they're, for the art, art to but, be on the duck stamp. But that's also changing the audience, who is is it's geared towards and that's discussed a bit in the article um that you know the the evolution of it and how it's changed throughout Mm -hmm. the years and i think it's interesting how you know even like hartwig like it says in the article that they were going towards uh more migratory species or species that aren't necessarily hunted species and they were opening up the art yeah i think it was well, I can't remember what year they said. I think it was uh, 2014 or 2015. They allowed non um, non game species, non game ducks, to be on the the stamp mm-hmm. to be part of the artwork. And he says that this is like he he's the former director of uh, the National Wildlife Refuge System, but he says this is a step backwards. So yeah, so I mean, it seems like it's kind of politically motivated. Um, so who knows in 2020 if that's going to completely change, if this proposal is just going to like fall on its face or whatever. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll 
be kind of paying attention to that, but also relying on others who are smarter and more involved. Oh, yeah. We'll, <laughs> be, we'll be reading. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, check it out for yourself. So, for our latest adventure, we ended up going to Central Oregon to Bend kind of unexpectedly. We yeah. were going to participate in the Oregon Burning Association meeting, um, but we had conflicting... Thing. We had to we had to march in the Starlight Parade yeah, in Portland. Which Eric like I don't know if you guys have actually seen pictures of us, if you know what each of us looks like, you know. Um I'm the one that has long hair, Eric has the beard. I have long beard, she has long hair. <laughs> Anyways, um on a whim while we were getting ready for the parade, I put lights in his beard because he always likes doing weird things with his beard. Like Yeah, I mean if I have it I might as well do weird things with it. Yeah, right. One time we put um little uh Christmas ornaments in it and yeah, that was th- awesome. And this was before the whole craze on like Instagram. This this was back in twenty 20- 13, 2014. Like that, yeah. It was it was back before any like crazy beard stuff was going on. So we put glitter. We started in his, early. <laughs> we put glitter in his beard once. Glitter beard. We tried to put sequins in it, but they like didn't. It didn't really work that well. Yeah, it, they were big sequins too. Yeah, heavy. Uh, so, anyways, I put some lights in his beard, and like, oh my gosh, the whole parade route. It was like two and a half miles. <laughs> People were just like, oh my gosh, your beard is so cool. <laughs> so I was yeah. trying to start hashtag light beard. Hashtag light beard. That's a thing already. I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> but apparently it's just guys that have gone really light with their beards. They've just shaved it off. Yeah, they're something. like, they're like not clean shaven. You know, it's like a couple days it's, of It's growth. just a light beard. Just yeah. a little bit of a beard. That's not a light it's beard. Not, it's not a beard that has lights. This is a light beard. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, um, yeah, the whole parade. And he got on the news about it, sort of. Well, I I wasn't about that. I I, I was, if you watch the Starly Parade, section two of it, in the first, like, five minutes, I have, like, the camera pans past me for, like, about one second. Well, (laughs) we'll see if we can, like, make a GIF of it or something and post it I don't know how to do that. Because it was hilarious. (laughs) Well, we'll figure it out. Okay. Google GIFs. Anyways, so we weren't able to really participate in the Oregon Burning Association uh, meeting because of that, yeah. like we had wanted to. So we just were like, heck, let's go off to Central Oregon to go see if we can uh, Yeah, we had to, we had to go up to Portland anyways, had to leave the beach, so figured we'd do some adventuring. Yeah. So um, Bend is just, it's a well-renowned location for beautiful landscapes. It's high desert, so... It's um, real rocky with, like, junipers and scrub. Um, Lots of snow in the winter. Yeah. The snow sticks around for a long time because it's cold. Yep, we saw some snow. There was still some snow, yeah. It's it's June. We, yeah. There's still snow out there. And there's, like, a ton of things to do outdoors. I always say that, like, Bend is the place where everybody is out running all the time. Because yeah, everyone's see, outside all the time. You see people, like, biking and running all the time. Like, it doesn't rain a whole lot over no, there. it's desert. Yeah, so, like, it's pretty much always a good time to be outside there. Um, but it's also a fantastic birding location, and they're also known for the beer, because the beer is delicious, and... And they have lots of it. They have lots of it. So, <laughs> we decided to call this our Bend Birding and Beers vacation. It was nice. So, on the way out there, we we, we had a pretty short amount of time. To do do much out there because we had to be back into in Portland for the Starlight Parade. And we've also been to Bend many times. So yeah. this isn't like the first time we've been there. And I really like going to Bend because it's yeah beautiful beer birds all that. Yeah. So um, on the way to Bend, um, we realized we were still going to have some daylight, um, so we had to 
clean hotel rooms and do all that we had to do before we left here. But we were still going to have daylight when we got there, so we decided to swing in real quick to uh, Calliope Crossing on the way in Which to it, try to get something. And that's a location that we had been once before. We, For my birthday, years like, back. years and years ago, <laughs> so many years, <laughs> right after we got married, you know, one of those stories, um, Eric took me to Bend for my birthday, and it was right before the Woodpecker Festival, the Dean Hale Woodpecker Festival. Yeah, just like it was this time. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the East Cascades Audubon Society, which is a pretty active Audubon out there, that they mm-hmm. do, like, workshops and classes and... They're a little bit more than a lot of the other Audubons that we've been a part of. Um, But less than like Houston or Portland Audubon that are like huge and have lots of money. They um, do this. They did a bird walk of the woodpeckers of the area. I think it was like a scouting trip for the festival. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we got on that. And I think they said. Back in 2012 or something. 2013. 2013. Um, I think they said something like 13 woodpeckers. you, You think it's 11, right? I think, yeah, it's 11, I think. So we went on this woodpecker walk many, many years ago, and they took us to, like, all of the good birding locations in Bend in a day. And so we had been to Clyde Crossing that one time because Mm -hmm. of that, and that was, like, at the end of the field trip, so we were kind of tired, worn out. So we decided to stop by again and see what was going on. Yeah, and there was there was a bunch going on when we got there. There were a bunch of people there. (laughs) Yeah, we showed up, and we we thought the festival was already going, because there was, like... I don't know, there's like eight people just standing. Like, this is... So, Calliope Crossing is a little... It's like in a neighborhood. Well, it, it, I guess you could call it a neighborhood out, out in, in central Oregon. It's Where each lot's like an acre. Yeah, each each property has, is at least an acre. But um, it's just this small, like, gravel road that goes off, the, off, off of a side road already. Mm-hmm. And it goes downhill down to a, what's a stream down there. And then there's a culvert that you drive across, and then you just kind of go out into, like, these flatland areas. There's just, like, um, the lodgepole pines and stuff like that that are just, like, out there, a little bit of scrub, and that's that's about it. Not, not Nothing really defined, no specific parking, no facilities, nothing like that. It's just kind of a spot. <laughs> and I think the one time we, the first time we had been there, we went because there were, I think, nesting red breasted or red nape sapsuckers. Red nape sapsucker and, and Lewis's woodpeckers. Uh, no, Clark, Clark's, Clark's nutcracker. nutcrackers. That's Clark's right. nutcrackers were out there, and the... Lewis and Clark. You know which yeah. one? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so so that's the reason we went out there the first time years back. But this time we, it was just on the way, and we figured it's it's in sisters. It's not not quite to bend. It's in sisters, so it's and we need to pick up a calliope hummingbird. And and we for whatever reason have never listed a calliope hummingbird, and so, so we. Yeah, had Went to, there go to get that. But once we get there, like Eric said, there's like eight people yeah. standing like off into the woods, like maybe 50 feet. And so we just kind of like sneak. Well, I mean, we stood by our car at first and we were like. We got, got, all our, got our binoculars. We'd just been driving for four hours. Well, so and they were on we a Got f- our binoculars out. We thought they were on a field trip. So yeah. we were like, well, we don't want to like interrupt a field trip yeah. because that is rude. Um, <laughs> and so we like stood there for a few minutes and they kind of looked at us and we were like, Okay, we'll go over. <laughs> and so we went over, and they were looking at a leucistic red breast, red, red breasted, yeah, yeah, red breasted sapsucker that had been spotted in the area, and it was breeding, or it has has built a cavity, or it has a cavity it nest. Has, it's, with, it's a woodpecker with a cavity nest. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to say there's babies because I don't know if there's babies yet. Um, but it bred with a red breasted, red naped hybrid. 
Yeah, which I didn't get a very good look at all at the at the female that was at the hybrid at the, at this potential hybrid, but who knows? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Yeah. So I, th- I think some people have decided it is and have pictures and specific marks to say why it why it's a hybrid between them two, but. And, yeah, so we're, like, standing there, like, kind of talking to people about it, waiting for the sapsucker to come back. And, like, we're like, oh, yeah, we're just kind of looking for a calliope hummingbird. You know, we just never really marked it down. And so we came out to see it. And they're like, well, there's one right there. We're like, oh. (laughs) We look over and it's just sitting on a branch. So, of course, that's how birds are. You know, it's right in front of you. Right in front of you. Right. Super easy to see. So... Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, so <laughs> you look so excited. You have to talk. I was so excited. So um, while we were standing there, there was a gal that kept kind of looking at me, and I recognized her. I could not remember why. And then she walks over to Eric, and she's like, "Did you guys guide in the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival this year?" <laughs> and he was like, "Why, yes, we did." And. She so I don't think she were they on one of our walks. I think is, they were on. They one were of on our walks. walks. Yeah, yeah. The I recognized the husband immediately when we were coming up, but I didn't remember where I recognized him from, and I, it was just driving me nuts. I'm like, well, maybe if we hang out over here for a little bit, I'll I'll be able to figure it out. And that, that's where it was. It was two people that I think they they said they lived up here. They live in the Portland area. They live in the Portland area, and they went down, and we just happened to see them out here this random day birding out of bed. <laughs> I know it was Ruth and her husband, and they did a birding big year, or birding couple the, the big couple year. big year, yeah, yeah, which is super cool, and we'll have to have them on an episode, so we're not going to spoil what their end of year result was, yeah, because we hope to have them on a future episode because yeah. that was super cool. That was cool. So it was really neat to see them. So yes, come say hi to us when they're in the field. <laughs> we we are only mean most of the time. It's just or, we're never me. Never mind. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, after the calliope and then the leucistic um, sapsucker came back, we decided to go looking for a Hammond slide well, catcher. We uh, we were talking with one of the one of the other guys that was there, Steve, Steve, and, and Judy, and Steve and Judy, and Judy. I think they both are big with the. Audubon, right? Yeah. I know and, Judy is. I, I wasn't sure if Steve was. And I think we'd met Judy before. I'm, she looks so familiar. I I know I know I know I know her. Eric has face blindness. And so I don't know that I know anyone usually. But I know that I know her. He's also full of crap. <laughs> um anyways, the we, we had mentioned that some of our targets for this for this weekend were uh, a couple flycatchers, a couple of couple impid flycatchers, uh Hammonds, Dusky, um gray. and Gray flycatchers. So he was like, oh, well, I'm actually leading an impid walk, specifically looking for those three. And I know there's a Hammonds that I had about a half hour ago, right over, right, right here, five minute walk from here. We can go over and see if we can suss it out. And it was like, oh, heck yes. I do not know my impids very well. <laughs> yeah, so right. an expert to show us some, uh, sh- to show them to us, that would be fantastic. So we took them up on, on the offer 100%. <laughs> I'm not going to deny someone to show me things. <laughs> yeah, so we just walked the short little walk over to the other side of the creek. Yeah, right to the other side of the creek. and He, with, he played a couple calls mm-hmm. to see if it would come in. It was a little later in the day, so I guess he wasn't worried about... He wasn't expecting that it would come, come anyways, but he's like, oh, well, well, we'll play a couple couple calls. Yeah, so he played them, um, nothing, 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 and then... So we stood there just chatting for a while, talking about woodpeckers and impids and... 
And, like, two seconds later, after, you know, just, like, kind of getting ready to give up, we mm-hmm. he- heard it in the distance. Yeah, I he- heard it way off, and then, out of nowhere, it just flies over and perches, like, right in front of us. But we, we didn't hear and see the perch close enough together for them to be sure that that was the Hammonds. So we're standing there looking at it, and he's like, he was, Steve was like, well, I don't know. I mean, leaning towards Hammonds, we're looking at, looking at it, trying to get field marks off of it. Trying to see how long does how long are the primary projection past the rump, how uh, how definitive is the eye ring, what the how peaked is the cap, how smooth it, like different different impid field marks to look at that are very subjective and very hard to tell. <laughs> the really the main definitive thing is to hear a call, and so we're sitting there looking at it, probably five minutes of staring at this bird before it flies away, and he's like, well. I can't definitively say maybe maybe Hammonds maybe Dusky and as it flew past us it called a ha- it called a Hammonds call and he's like well there we go Hammonds <laughs> so it's like so definitive are the calls of these birds that it's pretty much and and then from then on it stood in the trees probably thirty forty feet in just singing over and over and over and over so it was like okay well that's that's a Hammonds and I wish I would have brought my microphone over there with us so I could have got some of those but next time. oh well next time. Yeah, so then we left there, uh, or we as we were leaving there, we met a wonderful woman. Her name was Pam. Yeah, um, we super just, nice. We just bumped into her, and we were just kind of chatting, because she wanted... I can't remember what she was trying to find. Um, I can't remember either. But anyways, we... I think anything. I think she was just happy to see anything that was out there, because yeah. she, she had come from uh, Texas. Texas. So yeah. every, everything out there was new, for, yeah. for the most part. So we just... You know, casually dropped it. We host a bird watching podcast, and she was so excited. And she told we met other people that she had told about our podcast. She took a picture of us because she was so excited. (laughs) Anyways, shout out to Pam. You're awesome. Yeah, Uh, it was so nice. A fan before she's even listened to us. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So then our next target was Pinion Jay. Uh, it was pretty high percentage on our target species list, so we were fairly confident. And they're pretty common birds yeah, in Central and, Oregon. And Steve had given us some hints of what we could do to look for him. He said just drive around the city with some uh, with your wood with windows, windows down, down and listen <laughs> for him. So we drove around Sisters, which is right next to Bend, and with the windows down and listened and listened and nothing and then... nothing and nothing and nothing. So one of the places he mentioned was the high school. So we swung by the high school to see well but the high school had so many people there was something some sort of like play or big inside event going on because no one was outside but there was like the parking lot was full and it was seven thirty at night yeah so i don't know what was going on but right before we pulled into the parking lot saw one of the one of the cooler looking woodpeckers there's they, they all look cool and bend but <laughs> one of the cooler looking ones the white-headed woodpecker it just perched on a tree right near us, so Eric got some good pictures I, I got, of it. Yeah, I got I got some pictures. <laughs> and there were mountain bluebirds uh, yeah. in there. No, there was western bluebirds. Oh, sorry, western bluebirds. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And then we made our way over to our hotel for the night, which is uh, somebody had mentioned in one of our episode or one of our discussions that we had with mm-hmm. people that they like that we tell them where to eat. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, this is kind of a special feature in this, but we love this place in Oregon. It's called McMinimins. It's not just in Oregon. It's Oregon, Washington, but it's this family-owned chain of breweries mm-hmm. and, like, hotels and restaurants, and I think there's over, like, 70 locations or something like that throughout Oregon, Washington, and downtown Portland, there's, like, 10 alone, 
Um, they have several big hotels, and Bend happens to have one of them. It's called Old St. Francis McMinimins. It's It was an old church. Yeah, it's an old church. Yeah. Or it says... Cool. I can't remember if it was like Catholic school. Or I think it's church. a Catholic school. Okay. But um, what what McMinimins does is they purchase historic properties that are run down or not being cared for, and they restore them somewhat. Yeah. But then they do do things. They add a brewery to them, change some of them into hotel rooms. They, the they, artwork is all really funky. Yeah, it's fun, funky artwork. The the artwork is usually new, not restored but they have they'll secret, restore a lot of things some of the hotels have secret bars in them that you have to like find so it's super cool yeah they do they do some weird stuff but it's it's really cool they have they have good food good beer they also have this passport program that is what we do where mm-hmm. um you have a passport and then you have to go to like all their locations and get a stamp and then you can like there's certain prizes like when you finish certain locations so like this one at, at old st francis in Bend, there's like six different um, bars you have to go to, as well as the hotel. And when you finish that, then you get a prize. Yeah. And then when you finish all of them, there's like this huge party you can go to. And they give you like a bunch of free nights at hotels and like, you know, cheap beer for a year. Yeah, so, like happy, pri- happy hour pricing for their beer for the whole year. Yeah. So it's, so it's kind of cool. It's fun. And it gives us another reason to like get out because my parents are super into this um McMinimins thing, and so we can get them to come cover us at the hotel, and we can go birding and McMinimins-ing at the same time. Yeah. So anyways, we were staying at McMinimins because it's a super cool hotel, and, you know, then you can enjoy the McMinimins beer and not have to drive. Yeah, stay at the hotel, drink at the bars at the hotel. Yeah, good food. Convenient. Good drinks. Their ruby um, beer is, like, to die for. It's like a... It's like a wheat with raspberry in it, and yeah. that's my favorite. Yeah, so, I like I like the Hammerhead IPA. Yeah, it's a good one. So we did that overnight, <laughs> and then the next morning um, we got up a little later, and we went off because of beer. Yeah, <laughs> we we decided we were going to go to Pilot Butte State Park, which isn't too far away, and it's kind of in the middle of Bend. It's the top of a butte, like you drive up this butte, spiral around this butte. And, Which is like a, a volcano hill. Yeah. Or, they're all over the place in east, or in central Oregon. I keep trying to say eastern Oregon. It's central Oregon. It feels like eastern it's Oregon. It's eastern from here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we got a, We were going to go do that because we had seen on eBird that there were pinion jays, but it was closed. It was closed. It didn't open for like another two hours. And it's like, we're not going to sit around for two hours and wait. We'll go to the next birding spot. So we drove to like a parking lot that was right next to it so we could look at eBird to see if there were any other hot spots that had them. And right as we were in that parking lot, we heard pinion jays <laughs> like right next to us in the cemetery. And so Eric like, you know, expertly drove over to the cemetery. Wound around the streets until I found the entrance to the cemetery and we drove through and we heard them. I don't uh-huh. think we ever ended up seeing any. We, I saw... So, right before we pulled into the parking lot initially, I saw one fly across the road. Oh, that's right. I, I saw I saw it fly across from Pilot Butte down <laughs> down to, to our right, down into this parking lot, which is why I pulled into the parking lot. But then I... We didn't see him again. We we heard him. We kept hearing him over and over and over. And it was... They, they have a pretty... Distinct, like most Jays, they have a distinctive like a call. Yeah. yeah. They, they have a distinctive Jay call. So, it's... Easy to easy to figure out here. But while we were in the cemetery, I saw this like mammal moving, and 
I like took my binoculars and I was looking at it, and they were they were groundhogs, and they yeah. were huge monster I groundhogs. I don't think I've ever seen a groundhog before, <laughs> but like they were all over the cemetery, and they were ginormous. They were like a you know small dog sized. Or I, something. I understand now. Um, Bill Murray and Caddyshack just trying to fight these things. Oh my gosh, all over the cemetery. They're everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so that was actually really cool. There's not a hot spot there, um, but if you ever go, it's a cemetery that's right next to the police station. Yeah. It was super cool. So uh, then we went on to our next stop, which was Hatfield Lake. Um, we just, I, we, I don't even know why East we selected that location. I, I, you, you wanted to find, uh, you thought we needed, for the, for that county, for Deschutes County, you thought we needed oh, waterfowl. Yeah, yeah, because it said there are ducks there, which um, I'm there, really... It was a good variety. Yeah, I'm glad we went there. They have the phalaropes. Yeah, like, phalaropes. where else in the county are we going to get phalaropes? I have no idea. Yeah, so... I don't, I don't know Deschutes County very well. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's this big... Um, uh, what kind of pond is it? It's a, like, reserve pond. Well, I don't know if that if it said what that pond was, but it was right next to a water reclama- reclamation oh, um, yeah, plant. Oh, that's right. So I maybe this this was water retention for the reclamation plant. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what Hatfield Lake was, but it, it's definitely a man-made, an initially man-made lake that's doing this thing. But like pretty low levels right when we were there. Western meadowlarks everywhere. Constantly singing. calling. Yeah. Um, what else do we have? We have mountain chickadee when we were there, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't see the pinion jays. We were hoping All they would be All excited flycatcher, western wood peewee. Yep. Um, there are some warblers hanging around too. I think we got yellow rump maybe when we were there. Yeah, we had the mountain bluebirds there. Mountain bluebirds, yeah. yeah. So we didn't walk all the way around. We just, I got lazy and just walked part of it because well, we, I was we, antsy to get back to Portland. Yeah. Uh, for the parade the next day. Yeah, but it was, <laughs> it was pretty cool. And, uh, I think we checked off what we wanted to at that location so then we headed back to Calliope Crossing because we can't get enough of it, apparently. Yeah. It's a, it's a, good, it's a really good spot, Calliope Crossing. It's, like, like I said, there's no infrastructure. There's no parking. You just kind of park on the side of the, road, or side of the gravel road there. But, but it's got some really good birds. It's, it's like a little, uh, a little oasis in the middle of like high desert, kind of. Yeah, and um, Steve, the gentleman be- the day before, had given us some hints on how to find gray flycatchers. Um, and he said they were like maybe quarter mile down from where we were at, yeah, he at said, the dri- water location. Drive down the road to where the juniper had fallen across the road and, and park there and then walk off into the forest. Well, we, we took the trail. Yeah, there was a trail. We didn't have to walk into the forest. Yeah. <laughs> and gosh, only like maybe a couple hundred feet down the trail, mm-hmm. we saw flycatchers. Yeah. Hopping around. Just real fast. Yeah. So Well, we... fir- first before the flycatchers was the chipping sparrows. That's right. Ch- chipping sparrows all over in the bushes r- right around us. I tried to get some recordings, but they were not very... They, they were not very vocal when they were close to us, and then as soon as they got far away, they started to get real vocal. Yeah. So recordings didn't work out, but I got some pictures. Yeah. And then uh, we spotted the gray flycatcher. Yeah. So that was, that was really our target going back there. Yeah, that was the whole reason we went back there, and it worked. Yeah, we so, got it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was calling. It was they were calling, and so I mean, we wouldn't have looking at this bird. I got some pictures of it. I mean, maybe you can tell what it is from the picture. I don't know. I mean, it's looking at from bottom up, looking at an impid flycatcher. Yeah. Who knows if somebody that's really good can tell if that's what it is? But 
And while we were there, we ran into uh, a couple of people that were standing there. And so we kind of asked them, like, oh, what's going on? What are you looking at? What's good? And um, it was this gentleman named Eric and I think his friend Debbie. And they they were burdened around. And um, we just said, like, oh, we're looking for a gray flycatcher. And, you know, have you guys seen it? And this was before we saw it, obviously. And then... uh, I think he said, like, oh, you guys are the ones that do the podcast, aren't you? <laughs> we were like, yes. <laughs> like, it's so exciting to be, you know, sighted in the field. <laughs> but um, he had listened to one of our episodes, and then Pam had told him all about meeting us, so he knew we were in the area. Yeah, Pam, Pam had really gotten around, telling, yeah, making man. sure people knew about us. We should pay her. <laughs> Even before she... She had listened, I assume. <laughs> but anyways, um, it was super cool meeting Eric and Debbie. They were out from Texas, too. And Pam was out from Texas, so yeah. apparently most of the... A whole bunch of people from Texas were out there in Central Oregon yeah. this, uh, this last weekend. Yeah, crazy. Um, but they were telling us about Hermit Warbler that they had seen at one of the snow parks. Yeah, which the snow parks are... During the summer, it doesn't live up to its name, really. But uh, <laughs> dur- during the winter, um, people go uh, snowmobiling all through these parks up on uh up in the cascades and so snowshoeing too snowshoeing it's just a lot, lots of snow sports <laughs> outside so they so they told us that they had seen a hermit warbler at one of these parks so we decided that that's where we needed to head to we were like every snow park we get to <laughs> we're gonna drive into yeah and we did oh my gosh the first one or the second one we went into was potato hill snow park like I don't even understand that place. Like, there's just, like, these big open trails everywhere. I didn't yeah. feel comfortable driving down them. It was, it was like driving up in the for- the National Forest or something. Yeah, it was, it was, kind, of, it was kind of weird. Or Dri- logging roads, I guess. It was, it was basically like driving down logging roads. They were, they were improved enough that they were fine to drive. We were driving the, the Mini. The Adventure there, Mini. The Adventure Mini. So it was, they were fine enough that I didn't need four-wheel drive. There was... Front wheel worked just fine. No, it just... Going up and down these hills. It was very, kind of, like, being out in the middle of nowhere. Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Still had some a couple signs. It's it's made for doing it during the snow, like, on foot or in a snowmobile or something. I so. guess, yeah. I don't know. So it was weird. But while we were leaving Potato Hill, like, we had the sunroof open because windows down. We are trying to listen, see if we heard any... Because there wasn't a ton of birds at that park. Yeah, and it was a little later in the day. It was. So. We, were getting to the, we were getting to the late afternoon. Um, and... For whatever reason, I don't know what possessed us, but we both ended up looking up and seeing something fly. So I stopped. And it was it was like, we were maybe 500 feet away from getting back onto the highway. Yeah. And we looked up through the sunroof and saw this bird land at the top of one of the trees. And so we grab our binoculars, look at it, and it's a hermit warbler. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Ye- ye- yellow face, black throat, black and white body. And that, doo-doo-doo, is our bird of the podcast. There we go. The hermit warbler that we have been chasing for, I feel like, months, maybe years. Yeah. It's one of those birds, you know. Anyways, it's a, it's a warbler. It has a yellow cheeks, has a little black cap on it, and then it has a black throat. Um, they are known as being of least concern. Yeah. Well so, known I mean, for that. we should probably have already seen them if they're least concerned. Yeah. Um, you know, their range is Pacific Northwest, uh, Washington, Oregon, and then down through like Northern California and along the Sierra Nevada. They spend the winters in coastal Southern California and South of the U S Mexico border and central and South of Mexico. So they're a West coast bird. 
And just some interesting things about him. Uh, the Hermit Warbler was first described in 1837 by John Kirk Townsend, who was a naturalist and ornithologist and collector. And they can also... Is he named after the Townsend's Warbler? Well, he's not named after it. The Townsend Warbler is named for him. Oh, that's... Okay. Yeah. I, I guess it could work that way. <laughs> um, they actually hybridize with Townsend Warblers where their ranges overlap in Oregon yeah. and Washington. So we might see a hybrid. And Maybe this one was a hybrid. Maybe... <laughs> We should do DNA testing. <laughs> um, the hybrid zones are rather narrow and appear to be slow moving with uh, Townsend warblers w w that are more aggressive, displacing hermit warblers. Hmm. And it once occurred in the Pacific or the Olympic Peninsula and into British Columbia, but Townsend warblers have since pushed them out. Interesting. And a group of hermit warblers are collectively known as a seclusion of warblers. I guess because they're hermits. I guess. Well, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, it's just a little fun facts about, uh, yeah, hermit, about warblers. hermit warblers. They're a pretty little bird that we have seen all of one time now. I, I have we I saw it that time, and then on the bird walk, the Cannon Beach bird walk, we heard him calling. Wow. So I feel like it's one of those birds that once you see it once, you spend weeks looking for it and just can't find it can't find it can't find it and it's like one of the common birds you're doing all that time for yeah and then as soon as you see it now it's everywhere it's just constantly like oh well no there's one over there there's another oh i oh there's one underneath my shoe like they're everywhere <laughs> like i don't know i don't know where these birds were how did i not see these birds earlier if they're for they're everywhere they're, they're oh, everywhere anyways um so just like other spot that we hit on the way back, which wasn't really particularly birdy when we were there, is Clear Lake. And I encourage you guys, if you're going out to Lake Central Oregon, to check out Clear Lake. Oh my gosh, it's so clear. It is gorgeous. <laughs> it's um, spring water, but it's it's cold, so it's not like springs in Florida, which are like, what, 72 all the time or something. It's cold water. And it's renowned for being... At, absolutely clear and that you can see tree trunks in the bottom of it which i almost got eric to take me out in a rowboat but he was like i don't know how to use a rowboat i don't know how um <laughs> likely story but <laughs> it is absolutely clear it's gorgeous i encourage you guys to check it out the next time you're in central oregon yeah so that wasn't really the last stop it was the last stop in the mountains yeah and then on, on the way once we got out of the mountains on the on the drive back we stopped uh momentarily at Ankeny uh, National Wildlife Refuge to take advantage of those duck stamps. Yeah, get those duck stamps used. Yeah. And also see a bittern for the day. Yeah. That was it was a really loudly calling obvious bittern. Yeah, it was it was kinda nice. Yeah. So that was our adventure. We hope you enjoyed it. Um just a, a couple more tidbits before we let you go for the day. Uh, we have some additional news, including the birding classic results. The Texas, the great Texas birding classic. Eric, would you like to say how we did? We did good. Yeah. We, <laughs> so we did the two competitions. We did the Human Powered Challenge, which um, this is our third year doing that, and our, also our third year winning that. There we go. We did and it. We did. Um, there were four teams that competed, and we thought we were up for some competition this year, so we were a little nervous about how we did. We ended up with 109, which last year we finished at 120, so... We were like, oh my gosh, we did so much worse this year. Uh, no warblers, though, at all. It was insane. But we still won, so that was exciting. Barely. 
Uh, we'll post all the the results on the show notes too, yeah. so you can check out how a, a other link teams to the did. Results. And then we also um, were mentioned, I guess, for honorable mention for having a team name that makes Shelly Plant smile, who is the coordinator for it all. And our team name was Strikes on Bikes. Strikes on Bikes. Um, our other competition that we did, the Central Texas Coast Big Day, which we did mostly in Corpus, we came, we tied for second, which I. I mean, we had no idea how we were going to do. Had no idea. First time ever birding in that entire region. Our team name was, um, we're winging it, because we, we literally were. were. <laughs> so, that's still cool. Yeah, still got a second. Second. Second's good. Yeah. I, mean, I think we're, we still we're get behind. a plaque for that. Do we get a plaque for that? Or not, you know, a, whatever she gives a certificate. Oh, a certificate? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought we only got it for winning. I think I got one for coming in third one year. Oh. Well, if we do, thanks, Shelly. Yeah. <laughs> um, other piece of news. So we are officially on the September 13th Debbie Shearwater uh, Pelagic trip out of Monterey. So if you're on that, you know, we're excited to see you. And we're excited to go on her trip during her, her last year. Yeah. As well as on her birthday. That's her birthday trip. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm excited to um, try out some other uh remedies for seasickness yeah see if something else works so many people have given eric suggestions of what he should do i've, I've tried most of them but there's a few that are new so i'm like prescription uh prescription pads or patches yeah so we'll, thank we'll you thank you for sending those and for caring about him you care more about him than i do <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding uh, we all She's care about kidding. him the same uh but anyways we'll be in the monterey area like September like 12th through the 14th so if anybody wants to like hang out and bird let us know or we're up um and then after that we're going to Copenhagen and we're going to bird around Scandinavia for a couple weeks and somebody told us uh Steve who got us on the empids he told us about a app that they use over there called Igoterra Rather than eBird. Yeah. So we were like stressing out because we were looking at eBird and we we're like, oh my gosh, there's not that many sightings over there of birds. And like, where are we even going to go? And then it turns out it's because everybody's using this other app. So if there's anything else we should know about like birding in Scandinavia, like just tell us because that. Because we're not experts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're um, just trying to have fun with the birds. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, you know how much I like talking. I am going to be at Haystack Rock in Cannon Beach talking about puffins on July 3rd with the Friends of Haystack Rock, who I'm on the board. Um, so if you're in the area and you want to see some puffins, come out and I'll show you puffins. Yeah. They're they're out there. Yeah. Lots of them. Tufted puffins, Tufted. by the way. Not not Atlantic, not uh, the other Any ones. Any of the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could think of another puffin, but I can't. <laughs> Horned. Horned puffin. There we go. We don't have horned puffins. Right? That's a species, right? Sure. Um, So that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it and learned something. We want you guys to rate, review, and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can follow us uh, independently on Instagram at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding. I'm also on Twitter, Hannah and Eric Go Birding. I think it's... At we go birding. At we go birding. Yeah. On Twitter. Uh-huh. All right. I didn't know what our what what your our your slash our handle was for Twitter. I think Hannah and Eric <laughs> go birding was too long. Oh yeah, that's a lot of letters. 
So you, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Facebook, we're at Han and Eric Go Birding. You can also email us at Han and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. If you have questions that you want to submit for our next episode, um, you can submit those to any of those sources. Any of those sources. We will solicit them everywhere. Just talk to us. Yeah. And um, just uh, like us. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> P.S. One other thing. So this is our anniversary episode. We have been, this is our 26th episode and we do it every other week. So 52. Yeah. 52 uh, weeks. Yeah. So we have a very special treat for you guys that will come out next week. Um, like whatever the week after this is. I don't know what the, ne- the Thursday after this is released. Yeah. So June 13th, we have an extra special thing that'll come out on June 13th. Um, to celebrate our one year of podcasting. So check it out. 